I think also in like in terms of office, just to the general office relationships, I think having a kid uh, meant that I was sort of better at communicating and understanding colleagues and sort of I think you bring an, a deeper emotional intelligence and emotional responsiveness back to the office because you've been dealing with, you know, either little babies that can't verbalise what they need and you have to try and, you know, sort of understand and interpret what's going on and sort of read their signals. I really appreciated having Rob Sturick on my LinkedIn live show as part of my 31 Days of Transferable Skills Initiative. Rob Sturick is the author of the book Man Raises Boy and a Dad Advocate. Rob and I spoke about his transferable skills from being a stay-at-home dad for a period of time. We also talked about flexible work, part-time work, and advocating for fatherhood and gender equality. Hello, Rob. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Yes, it's so nice to see you again all across the world. <laughs> yeah, I think this, I was trying to work. I think this is the third time we've chatted too, which is lovely. Yes, it's been really nice because I feel it's given us like an opportunity to really sort of talk at different aspects of all your, you know, professional background about your care work, your advocacy. And so, yeah. you know, I'm super happy that you can be here today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's delighted. Thanks for having me again. And now there might be people, Rob, who don't know you yet. So if you don't mind, if you could introduce yourself with five facts according to the working out loud method, please. Yeah, sure. So five facts. So, well, firstly, my name's Rob Stark. Uh, secondly, I wrote a book about how fathers can be actively involved in raising their children, most specifically young boys. Uh, the book is called Man Raises Boy, and it came out just over, oh, about 18 months ago now. Uh, I live in an area of Sydney called the Northern Beaches, which, as it might sound like, has a long, beautiful strip of all these lovely sandy white beaches up and down the coast. I live there with my two children. Uh, I've got a little daughter who's five years old, a little boy who's three years old. Um, and I guess the last fact is uh, my family and I absolutely nuts and fanatics for Christmas. So when it comes to about late November, early December, we bust out a lot of lights, a lot of decorations, a lot of little statues and toys. We do, you know, the advent calendars. And then we have matching Christmas pajamas that we wear on Christmas Eve because um, we just love it so much. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me, I guess. Thank you so much for sharing. Yes, I I, I remember, like, you know, when my kids were a little bit younger, we did a lot of these things as well. It's, it was a lot of fun, yes. Yeah, this year, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> this year we had our traditional um, cheese fondue, which we've done for decades, basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm, sounds delicious. Yes, it's, it's quite tasty. <laughs> So now as we are talking about children, so today and for people who are just joining us, um, my conversation with Rob today is part of the 30 Days of Transferable Skills Initiative, where basically I am talking with um, people from all around the world about transferable skills that they might have um, gained by unpaid care work, volunteering, traveling for an extended period of the time, 
or by living in a different country. And so, um, Rob, what I would love to hear from you today is before you started your career, how much experience did you have with caregiving? Uh, none is the, is the short answer. So I'm an only child, so no siblings, uh, very small family. So no, I didn't spend a lot of time around sort of younger cousins or anything like that. I uh, didn't do any babysitting as a teenager. Uh, and to be honest, for a lot of my 20s, as I talk about my book, the thought of kids either bored me or terrified me. You know, I had no disposition to, to caring for to young children whatsoever. And I certainly didn't have so any elderly relatives that I was sort of caring for, like attentively as well. So I, I never, It's this is one of the reasons I, I say this because, you know, I think for some men in particular, there's a, a worry or a reluctance that, you know, am I going to be a good carer? And I, I say this about my background because I had no experience. I had not, not only did I have no experience, I had no interest in, in, in the, the prospect of caring for, for children or others. So um, I, I say it because I think it's like, if I can do it, anyone can. So um, sometimes I even look back at where I was in my early twenties. And I think that version of me would be completely shocked about where I've ended up in terms of, <laughs> Not only caring for kids, but actually going around and talking about it a lot. So, yeah, it's been a been a big evolution. Yeah, wow! It's like you know. So now, as you have just shared, given your you know lack of experience with children, young children, caregiving, what or why did you actually then decide to become a stay-at-home dad for a period of time? Yeah, so I guess for background for anyone that's that's watching this at any point, so I've done uh, sort of a couple of big stints of, of caring for my children. So I took some time off around their birth, so three weeks each for both kids. I then took sort of paid parental leave from two different employers for three months in total. And then I just spent uh, the vast majority of 2021 being a stay-at-home dad, probably about seven to eight months. Um, so I took a redundancy from my old job. And before I started my new job, I spent a good solid seven or eight months being the, the primary caregiver at home. Um, so why? Uh, look, it's a good question. I, th I think uh, my wife firstly was able to talk to me about the joys, the potential joys of, of having a family and what we could do. And I think that helped change my mindset over time. And I think once we decided we wanted to have kids, um, it was kind of an, an easy emotional or like, you know, intellectual switch for me from going from, okay, I don't really think of kids in my future to when they were very um, clearly going to be in my future. I'm like, well, if they are, then I want to be as present and involved and as loving as possible because I really wanted my kids to grow up with a dad that was around, was present, was active in their lives and also just made their household happy and fun and caring. And I didn't want you know, my wife to be shit, like shouldering all the caring burden. Like we've always had a pretty equal relationship. You know, we've always valued each other's careers equally. We valued each other's times equally. Before we had children, we were equally doing the domestics. So uh, we wanted to carry that forward into having kids. So I think when it became a reality of like, okay, we're going to try and have a family now. I just knew that I wanted to be to be present. And I guess it was partly driven by what I just wanted as an individual, and it was partly driven by my experience of I had a very loving and caring dad, but it was the classic male breadwinner who worked a lot in the 80s and 90s, which meant a lot of long hours, which meant he was coming back late in the evenings and he traveled a lot. My dad traveled a lot when I was probably about eight till I was about 17 or 18. So it was a decade there where my dad was constantly either in different states in Australia or traveling overseas for two or three weeks at a time. So 
Um, I sort of came into parenting, okay, well, I want to be as present as I possibly can in my, my kid's life and try to adjust my working life accordingly. That, you know, it, it sounds really fascinating to hear, you know, all your thought process and, you know, how you came to deciding to become a stay-at-home dad. And so what I'm curious is, given that you had shared earlier that you didn't really have much experience re related to caregiving, were there any skills from your professional career that helped you as transferable skills when you started being a caregiver? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because I normally think about it in the reverse, right? What mm -hmm, did I take mm -hmm. back to the workforce? Yes. Um, I, I don't think there actually was a huge amount for me that I took from my professional life into my private life. I guess probably one of the big skills I took was probably being organised, you know, and there's only so much organisation you can do when you've got, you know, newborns and babies and toddlers. But I think a sense of... Um, a sense of being organised in terms of what needs to be done at any one point in time to take care of a baby. I think that was helpful. I think, to be honest, a lot of what I brought to being a new dad and sort of, you know, and there was lots of trial and error and, you know, learning by doing things uh, incorrectly or in a different way. I think mostly it was my personal character and attributes in terms of trying to be an empathetic, attuned, sort of emotionally responsive person was probably what gave me the the best start as being a dad. I actually, you know, my job, and we'll probably talk about this later, is, you know, there's a lot of sort of re academic style research and writing and sort of dealing with a lot of different stakeholders. Um, none of that I really could bring to bear. I guess some other professions could, you know, if they were particularly if they were care specialists or health specialists or teachers, they could bring that, you know, quite swiftly into parenting. For me, no, I was sort of drawing on more of what I'm like as a person outside of the office. Um, and, yeah, as I'm sure we'll talk about later too, I found um, in the reverse scenario, what did I take back to the office? Well, that, that surprised me the most. I took a, a bunch back to the office that I didn't expect to. Yes, I, you know, definitely. I'd love to talk about this in a little bit. So what I'd like to, you know, hear from you a bit more because I think it is so important for people to hear who might not have gone through that experience themselves. What was it actually like to be a stay-at-home dad? And also, did you have any other stay-at-home dads that you met in your neighborhood or in your city or in other ways? Yeah, look, overall, it was an amazing experience. So as I said, I've been really lucky where I've had the chance to do it, you know, for a considerable amount of time, um, three times now. So two stints for three months each and my last stint was seven months. And that was a really, that was really a bonus stint. I, I kind of thought after my last three month paper and a leave, that was probably it. Um, so as hard as the redundancy is on your career, um, the time to be at home was, it was incredible. So my first reaction is that being a same dad was I found it immensely rewarding. Like I really loved all the ins and outs of being a stay-at-home dad. So I, I get a lot of personal satisfaction in sort of making sure the house is kind of neat and tidy and stocked with groceries and it's kind of clean so that we can all enjoy it and enjoy the space. I get a lot of fun out of sort of making our kids laugh and playing games with them and taking them on adventures. So particularly this last seven months that I had in Australia, we were sort of a lot of it was before another set of lockdowns, so we had a bit of freedom. Um, so we went to all these different zoos. We sort of went, you know, we did day trips outside of Sydney where we drove for a couple of hours and did lots of different adventures. Um, we played a lot of games at home. You know, we used our imagination a lot more. 
now that my kids are kind of three and five, we could actually do some of that stuff. Like let's let's create games. Uh, I found that all really rewarding. And I guess the big thing for me at the end of it was just the the closeness of the relationship with my two kids. You know, it just you know equally with their mum. You know, they would come for me, come to me for emotional support or assistance with something in life or wanting to play. You know, even this morning when I was getting ready for talking to you, they were coming saying, Daddy, come and play with us, come and play with us. And that's great. You know, sometimes it's not always the most convenient opportunity <laughs> when they want to do that. But it's it's great that they they see that and they go, I want to go play with Dad because Dad's, you know, a lot of fun. So for me, the, the, the best part of being a stay dad was just that real closeness of relationship. And you're there for so many little milestones. And that's the thing for me too that, I get sad for a lot of other parents and, and dads in particular where they might not get the time to be a stay-at-home dad because there are so many little milestones that kids go through that you can miss so easily. You know, some of it's obviously developmental, you know, they learn to be more articulate, you know, their physical development, you know, um, increases. But there's just a lot of little, you know, things that happen in their personality as they grow and you sort of see different sides of their character. And if you're just working and coming home at the end of the day pretty exhausted and you're sort of tucking them into bed or, spending a little bit of time on the weekend, you can miss all these things. So I feel really fortunate that I've had a couple of big chunks now where I've seen their personality develop as well. And it's such special fleeting time. You know, I'm 40, so there's a very good chance I'm working for at least another, you know, 35 years, you know, almost, you know, if I, if I last that long. So there's only a few special moments in years when they're young, when they really want to play with you and they have this real sense of wonder and awe at life and all the little things around you. So I feel very privileged that I've had the chance to be there for a lot of it. And, you know, my wife makes these fantastic photo books every year because, you know, obviously like a lot of parents, you're taking, you know, hundreds of photos during the week. Uh, they can very easily get lost on your phone or on some sort of hard drive somewhere. So my wife very studiously at the end of every year sits down and collates these amazing digital photo books. And, you know, not only do I just love looking through them for their own sake, but I love to be able to look through the books and say, I've been there for a lot of these memories. I wasn't missing. I didn't, you know, I wasn't at work. You know, a lot of the things we did as a family, I was there for. And, and that means a lot to me. And I think it'll mean even more for me as I uh, get older. Thank you so much for sharing. Yes, it's like, you know, and it brings back as my kids are older, right? It brings back the memories what it was like and and how many little things each day one can experience. Yes, yes, that's, you know, thank you so much for sharing. And now, as we've talked before, going now the reverse, what of, you know, what type of transferable skills did you learn throughout your um, being a stay-at-home dad that has have become helpful for your professional life? Sure. Look, and I, and I love this question. I think it's great. And I think it really helps to helps men understand that taking time out from work to be a carer comes with a lot of different benefits that you might not expect because I think a lot of men think about parental leave in terms of what am I going to miss out on? You know, am I going to miss out on promotion? Am I going to miss out on some big project at work? You know, is my job going to be in jeopardy? And I think there's a lot of sense of if I take parental leave, what am I missing out on? But the reality is, is what you're going to gain. And, you know, we'll talk about what you can gain at home and then it's what do you gain bring back to the office? So I think the big one for me, number one, was I was so much more efficient and effective with time. Um, and you think you're pretty good. You know, the more you work, you think, okay, I'm getting further on in my career. I'm more efficient and productive. But it's really when when I was a parent and you're doing all that juggle at home and then you take you go back to work with a very different sort of perspective on time. And I don't think I even realised 
that I had that perspective until I was sort of a few weeks into working again. I just realized I was better at multitasking. I was more efficient. I was getting through things more quickly because the time was a bit more pressurized, I guess, because, you know, you had harder deadlines rather than just thinking, oh, well, I can work a bit late tonight. You know, I've got nothing on. Uh, you're kind of thinking, well, no, I've got to go do daycare pickup or, you know, I've got to go give my wife a break. She's been with the kids all day and you're trying to sort of make the most of your time. So for me, time management and multitasking was the first big thing I took back. Uh, I just found I was so much more productive with with time and so much better at getting through things more quickly. Um, I think also in, like, in terms of office, just to the general office relationships, I think having a kid uh, meant that I was sort of better at, communicating and understanding colleagues and sort of I think you bring an, a deeper emotional intelligence and emotional responsiveness back to the office because you've been dealing with you know either little babies that can't verbalize what they need and you have to try and you know sort of understand and interpret what's going on and sort of read their signals or you've got young kids that might be able to articulate a little bit or might be super fussy or might have big emotions that they're struggling to communicate so that dealing with that parenting side, I think when I came back to the office, I was better at sort of reading colleagues, understanding where they come, came from, you know, understanding when people were a bit more stressed or angry. Um, I think also that was really important for me. That meant that sometimes not to take things too personal in the office because I'm someone who can take things very personally. And if I forget and have an abrupt conversation with the manager or an abrupt email, can think it's all about me when it's actually understanding what that person's going through at any one point in time. So I think a greater sense of sort of responsiveness and empathy for others. I think that was it's really important in the office. And for me, it's a soft skill that we we tend to undervalue. You know, we put a lot of our priorities on like the hard productivity um, skill sets. But I think being able to be more emotionally attuned and responsive to your colleagues and and work in an office with empathy, I think, is hugely important. Probably now more than ever when there's so much remote work and so much stress in people's lives of dealing with COVID and lockdowns. To be able to have that extra level of sort of um, intelligence, I think, is really important. Um, and I looked at the, those for me are sort of some of the, the big skills. And um, I think it's really important to be talking about the benefits of, of um, parental leave to your career because, you know, a lot of those sort of skills like multitasking, time management, you know, emotional intelligence, they're sort of the hallmarks of modern leadership. Um, you know, they make great managers and employers and, and leaders. And, you know, it comes a lot from directly caring for others. And then I guess the last sort of part of this is you just bring back a different perspective, I guess, on life back to the office. And, you know, I think you know, there's so many little things you can get caught up in day to day, you know, urgent tasks and priorities and big projects. And it can really dominate your thinking. And you can start to think that it's the be all and end all. And, you know, life is going to hinge on whether this project is delivered on time or whether you do an incredibly brilliant job on something. But I think being a parent and dealing with those other things in life means you have a little bit more perspective, you know, a little bit more philosophical about it, which I think is a good thing. I don't think it means you work any less or you're less productive. I think it just means you put things in their perspective a bit more. And I think that makes it makes it easier on you. I think it's better for your well-being as a worker. And I think it can be easier in a team or if you're managing a team to go, yes, of course, it's really important we get this thing done well, but let's put in perspective, you know, we're not curing cancer or saving lives. We're just doing a certain amount of work and let's keep it, let's keep it in perspective as we, you know, we go through these challenging times. Thank you so much. I think I, I love these questions as well, because I feel 
it is so undervalued to this day that yeah. people just don't see this. And, you know, we have a um, a couple of questions. Dr. Matthias Niedenfür, hello. He just joined us. And so he has a question. Let's see. He says, did you find a common hobby with your kids that helped you bond? Oh, that's a really, that's a good question. Um but they're young, so they're, they're kind of not quite at the hobby stage. My, my girl who's five is almost getting to the hobby stage. I guess as of right now, in the end of 2021, um, particularly with my daughter, the hobby would be swimming and, and doing anything in a pool or in an ocean. So as I said, I live on the northern beaches in Sydney. We're really close to a lot of beaches and swimming pools. And my daughter loves, loves, loves swimming. She can swim for sort of hours on end. So I think that's been a really good bonding um, activity, sort of a common hobby that we share because I love going to the beach. The beach is one of my happy places as well. And when I'm stressed or feeling a bit down, you know, going for a swim or even walking by the beach, I find really important for my well-being too. So that's something that I am I am finding we're now sharing a mutual sort of passion and love for. She'll love to swim and play games and I really enjoy that too. So we just started, she's just started this summer, um, what they call in Australian nippers, which is essentially like you join a surf club and you learn about the beach and surfing and the waves and everything as a, as a young kid with a bunch of other young kids. It's kind of like sort of like a surf school or a beach school. So we do it once uh, a week uh, on the weekends. So that's becoming something we share as a hobby. My little boys will be a little young for hobbies, but when it's me and my um, two kids, the one thing we start to do mutually is we play a lot of creative games. So my wife and I have talked about this a lot lately. Um, my wife is fantastic at doing the craft art side with the kids. You know, she loves to paint and get out, you know, the old rolls of toilet paper and the paper and make things. She's terrific at that. For me, you know, when it's a wet rainy day and we can't go outside, we tend to play creative games. So, you know, we'll rearrange the couch and do a variety of different things. We'll get the dunas and pillows out. So we'll play camping games and we'll make a space station. We'll go on hunts and adventures around the house. So I think for the for me and the two kids together, when it's our time together, that's become a common hobby where we tr I try and think of creative, imaginative games where we can use our imagination and sort of do things as a little team around the house. That's becoming kind of a common thing we like to do together. Uh, and the way I know that is my kids asked to do those things now. So it started with me sort of saying on the rainy days, well, come on, let's try and find a creative thing to do at home. To now they'll come and be like, Daddy, can we play Space Station today? Or can we play Camping Game today? Or can we make a hidey hole out of the couch? Um, so that's that I find has been really good for their age. Um, and it allows us to, to use our imagination a little bit, which I think is great. Thank you so much for sharing. That's That sounds really interesting. And um, Mattia shared that he is using bouldering with his six-year-old also wow. as a, a hobby together. Yes. And then he has one more question. And he was curious, as a person he writes, who is, um, you know, writing texts, how difficult was it for you to get a window large enough to do some proper writing when mm. you were writing your book? Yeah, it was <laughs> question. Yeah, it was really hard. It was really. I kind of look back, and I'm I'm still a bit bewildered how I got it done. The the book in the end. So, the I wrote the book in. I think. Let me think. About nine to ten months. It was meant to be six. It was probably more twelve actually. It was meant to be six. And I think I took about a year. It was incredibly hard. So when I started, when I got the book deal with the publisher. Uh, we just about, we were just moved house. I just started a new job. My wife was 
pregnant with our second kid. She was also suffering from perinatal depression. Uh, so we had a lot going on in life. And uh, there was a, a thousand and one reasons why I was like, no, this is completely the wrong time to try and write a book. But I probably, I suspected it was probably the only time I'm going to get the opportunity to do so. So in terms of finding time, at first it was almost creating time out of thin air in, in the sense that, you know, the middle of the day was either occupied by doing a paid job or it was taking care of the children or giving my wife some emotional support as she should have struggled through depression. So I had to find time essentially between the hours of sort of like 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. or, you know, 10 p.m. and midnight. Um, that's for a lot of the first part of writing book. That's where the time came. I'd sort of have to get up at the crack of dawn, um, come sneak downstairs, make some coffee and sit in the dark and, and try and write and research for the book. Uh, and it was really hard at first because the, just the physical adjustment of getting yourself sort of up by four o'clock and then not only just being up, but by mentally switched on to the point you can write something that's, you know, semi-coherent. It was a real adjustment. Um, but I did adjust and I did that for a long time. And then uh, towards the end, when it was getting really hard to juggle, where we did have a newborn and, and our little boy had a, a lot of complications and problems and he was a terrible sleeper. That didn't work. I couldn't get up at 4am because I'd only had sort of three hours sleep and it just didn't didn't function. So I ended up taking a little bit of time off work to sort of finish the first full draft of the books. And that was, that was my wife's idea. She said, you're going to need just some solid time rather than dipping in and out, which is all I could do was sort of dip in and out for a few hours. I needed a solid chunk. So I took two weeks off work, uh, you know, mid-year, what was it, two years ago, and sort of it was amazing the difference. Um, once I had two weeks off where I could just focus every day, like I helped out in the mornings and nights with the kids and, you know, but I sort of had between sort of 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. to just focus on the book and the difference was enormous. To be able to get sort of lost in it more, to have more structured time, you know, I think, you know, I finished two or three chapters in, you know, in two weeks, which I, you know, I'd, I'd been, hadn't done previously at all. So it was incredibly difficult to find the time. And it's still really hard to find the time to write for, for all those reasons. But, you know, that's, I guess, partly why they call them passion projects because you're driven by your passion for the subject despite the obstacles that might be thrown up for it. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for authentically sharing what it was like. And thank you, Matthias, for asking the question. He um, is writing a PhD thesis and his, um, you know, the, the mom of the children is a student. So I can only imagine uh -huh. how tricky that is. Yeah, um, it sounds very demanding. Yes, yes. So now um, I would love to learn now, as you are working part time, and we've talked about transferable skills, both directions before. And now I'm curious, as you quote unquote, you know, possibly it's possible that you are practicing something maybe in one part of your day. Could you then practice it or, you know, use that skill you might have learned in the other part of your day. So I, I, I'm curious if that has created additional transferable skills. Working part-time? Yeah, working um, part-time, yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, I, I think, again, the I guess it's a couple. I guess the, the first one, again, is your relationship with time um, because, well, I guess I learned some hard lessons when I adjusted to part-time work. I guess I was a bit naive about what was entailed. I kind of assumed that part-time work meant that your workload would reduce by a commensurate rate, but 
I think the, rea the reality of the different roles I've been in and the reality of, I think, a lot of people's part-time experiences is that it's essentially a full full workload or a full-time workload that you're managing part-time. you know part -time. So for me, it's four days a week. So I've got a you know, very enjoyable, very stimulating job, but it is very demanding. There's lots on the plate. So I think that was the first um, lesson I learned is that you you know you are basically still juggling a full workload and you've just got less time to do it in. So in your relationship with time is um, you've got to be so sort of skilled with time. And, and I guess the other the big thing that comes with that is learning how to really really prioritize. And I think everyone thinks and knows that they can prioritize and work, but once you're a parent and once when you're working part time, you know the ability to really work out what is the top priority each day that needs to get done versus the thing that can wait for tomorrow versus the thing that can wait till next week. You know, it's so crucial because I think if you get that part right, then it does make the week more manageable. Um, I think the other thing I've learned part-time in terms of a transferable skill and it does kind of go both ways is being, I guess, being mindful that with every week there is some element of unpredictability and uncertainty that comes with it. You know, it might be on the work side, you know, something unforeseen comes up. So I do a lot of work in my professional job with um, sort of liaising and advocating to the, the federal government in Australia. So that can mean that if there's a new policy announcement or a new piece of legislation put forward, that suddenly everything for that week changes to focus on a new priority. Um, and obviously in the parenting world, it can be anything. It can be illness, accidents, you know, something happening in daycare or or it can even be something with my wife's work or her health or my health. So I think being part-time has made me aware that even when you might have a week planned out and you think everything's in balance, that it can get thrown out in any second. Um, and to always be kind of uh, be able to pivot with unpredictability. And I guess that's a good lesson for dealing with COVID generally in this year, right? Like I think there's always this, there's this constant element of uncertainty and unpredictability about what might happen so but working part-time for now what is it four years or so I think has has helped me just be a bit more comfortable with unpredictability and know that it may happen any one moment it might not always you know you might have a fairly sane stable week that you know that goes off without a hitch and then the next week you might think it's going to be the same and it blows up on a Tuesday because one of your kids is sick and can't go to daycare and suddenly the whole week's thrown out um, so I think learning to deal with unpredictability is a good one I think it's for me it's 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 additionally good because I'm someone that manages anxiety in my in my regular life. And when you're an anxious person, you like to be in control of things. And there is just some things you have to learn that you can't control, and you've got to you've got to go with them a bit more uh, and be a bit more comfortable with that. So I think it's helped me as, as a person as well. Um, I think yeah, there are a couple of the, the really big ones, um, but I certainly like, I love working part time. I wouldn't change it for the world right now. I think when the kids are young. Uh, it's incredibly um, privileged position to be in to work sort of four days a week and have a day with them. Uh, and uh, I just would love to see more, particularly in Australia, more men take it up because the statistics on men working part-time with children are you know, incredibly low. You know, it's somewhere around maybe 4% of the male working age population works part-time. And a lot of that is not by choice. It's because of economic circumstances or health or disability reasons. It's very few is because they've decided to opt to go for part-time work to care for family. Um, so I'd love to see that statistic change over the next couple of years. And maybe with all the COVID, you know, revolutions of the workplace, it will. Yes. I mean, it's like, I, I honestly don't know what the percentage is here in Canada, but just 
from talking to people and reading in general about I imagine it's probably very, very low as well. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And now, you know, you had mentioned just now that in your professional work, um, you're doing advocacy. Like, so I'm curious because you've done a lot of advocacy about like, you know, gender equality and fatherhood and, you know, more um, parental leave that is more neutral. So I'm curious if any of this has also helped on a transferable scale to your professional life. Yeah, I think it's it's probably it's probably started being the other way around. So I've been in this sort of career trajectory of sort of doing public policy research and advocacy and liaising with government or other key stakeholders for my job for probably the last five or, or six years for different employers. So I think I probably saw an opportunity the other way of being able to use my professional skills to do advocacy in an area that I thought was crying out for more advocacy, which is, you know, the role of fathers and their benefits and, you know, the, the role they play in improving gender equality in Australia. So uh, I was doing a lot, for instance, you know, I do a lot of writing in my professional jobs, you know, it can be briefing papers or, you know, letters to government or uh, op-eds and, you know, or articles. So I, I saw that as a skill set that I could use to in um, my passion project for, you know, advocating on fatherhood. Uh, I think understanding where, opportunities to advocate might lie was something that I was able to bring from my professional life into to talking about sort of fatherhood and gender equality more because I could sort of, you know, in an, in an advocacy setting, you're doing it professionally, you're always kind of looking for conducive opportunities to talk about a particular issue or put forward a set of, you know, policy recommendations or recommendations for change. And sometimes those opportunities are more sort of transparent or obvious than other times. So, I think as I was doing that work and becoming a new father and I was looking around thinking, well, a lot of the literature written is for mums, you know, a lot of the discussion about parenting is still targeted at mums. A lot of the, you know, imagery and cultural attitudes are all around, all around mums as the primary carer. So I saw a big opportunity to sort of try and change that narrative. So I, I was really using a lot of professional skills um, and bringing them into my passion project. Maybe more recently, Uh, as I've, you know, it's interesting because you know, when you're doing advocacy just as an individual, you've probably got a lot more license and flexibility to, to say what you want and, you know, and do anything at one point in time because you're not sort of governed by any particular process or structure. So I've probably been able to be a bit more experimental and do different things in my personal sort of passion project advocacy that has given me lessons to take back to the to my professional job. So in particular, you know, I've tried you know, to do different events with colleagues, you know, we've hosted online workshops and try to do face-to-face um, -face workshops before COVID and, you know, run different events on different topics and try to get, you know, a diverse audience in a room to talk about whether it's you know, fatherhood or gender equality or the role of men. Uh, and I was able to take, I think, the lessons learned from those events back into my professional job. So I'm kind of lucky that I guess my personal advocacy and my professional job, there's a really strong link between the two and they are very transferable so what might be a good idea professionally, you know, something we've tried in our professional workplace could easily be something that, that translates over to my, my personal advocacy. My personal advocacy tends to be a lot of writing and sort of doing interviews and doing workshops and trying to get stakeholders in a room and have, have events so we can hash things out. So um, I'm always on the lookout for sort of lessons I can learn or, or new innovations that I can, I can take up either way, really. I mean that that just sounds so wonderful, and and I'm you know super appreciative that you're sharing it for our listeners and our viewers that you know there is so much one can do, and 
I could talk with you, you know, for a long time. But is there anything today that you feel we have not addressed yet that you would love our viewers and listeners to know about? Um, look, I guess the other one that's it's connected. It's not necessarily transferable skills, but in the sense of finding, you know, a balance between working and professional life and caring and, you know, understanding the benefits. I think what's really important for, you know, all parents um, in, in, you know, in my scenario, you know, for dads here is to find a, a community and a solidarity uh, with others. And I think that's really hard because a lot of this can sound lovely in an interview and it can sound nice written on paper, but there is a reality when you're particularly in Australia, when you're trying to be a man looking for part-time work or, wanting to take paid parental leave or wanting to be one of the main carers or be a stay-at-home dad, you can bump up against a lot of outdated cultural attitudes. You might not have a lot of dads in your area or in your workplace that are doing the same thing. You, you know, the policies you might be trying to deal with at the workplace might be out of date and they might not, you know, give you the same level of access to parental leave as, as a working mum might. So think it can be really hard and it can lead to a lot of doubt a lot of stress about you know whether you're doing the right thing so when you're considering you know to you know juggling work and family and you know you're looking at maybe different ways of of, of handling your career you know try and find people that can you know you can talk to and open up and share experiences with whether they're at the workplace or your next door neighbor or online um I think that's really important because I think it can be, and particularly now when there is again so much, you know, so much remote work, you know, we're in and out of lockdowns around the world and the, you know, the future is so unpredictable, you know, having people you can go on to sort of just connect with and, you know, and share your experiences and, and sort of vent to and, and get, your, and, you know, and, and talk about the stresses and challenges and joys in your life, I think is really important. And I think that's something that I still kind of struggle with. I think, you know, I, you know, I talk a lot about parenting to, my wife and, you know, some of our neighbours and a lot of working mums, but I think it's it's still tricky to get men to open up about what it's like to be a working dad trying to juggle with family um, at this day and age. So finding community and trying not to be alone, I think, is, is really important because it's, it's hard to do the other things well or to get full satisfaction out of them if you're doing it alone. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate your advice. And now, how can people find you on social media, Rob? So you can find me on LinkedIn if you just put in my name and I guess Rob Storick and probably Sydney Australia into the search. And I should hopefully pop up on LinkedIn and you can see a lot of the things I've written. Uh, I have a, a website, which is just robstorick.com, which has a lot of my pieces as well. Uh, and if you want, I'm on Twitter as well at just the at Rob Storick. Uh, tends to be a work account, but I'm there as well. And um, you can also uh, find me, I have an email address connected to my uh, book website, which is the email address is manraisesboy at gmail.com because that was the title of the book. Uh, and they're the various ways to find me. And, and um, yeah, if anyone has questions or would love to share experiences, I always love hearing the experiences of other parents and other workers. And, you know, the things they've found that have worked for them or the challenges they've overcome, I think it's really important to swap stories. So if anyone has anything I'd like to share, I knew I'd love to hear it. Thank you so much. Yes, I I fully agree. It's always so nice to, you know, hear stories from all around the world to, because at the end of the day, you know, see, being parents, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter the background, the culture, it's sort of somewhat similar experiences that one goes to. And um 
Um, thank you so much again, Rob. It was really wonderful talking to you again. Thanks, Karen. Lovely to talk again. Goodbye. I was very happy to share this bonus episode with you today. Rob and I spoke about his transferable skills from unpaid care work as a stay-at-home dad, as well as flexible work, part-time work, and in general fatherhood and advocating for gender equality. I look forward next weekend to start season three of my podcast, Job Sharing and Beyond. My first guest will be Ulrike Kremer, who is the Generations Ambassador. Ulrike and I will be talking about intergenerational diversity and its implications for the workforce of today. I really look forward to guests from more than six countries, as well as many topics related to future of work, from transferable skills to flexible work, job sharing, as we just said, intergenerational diversity, support for returning professionals, and more. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye!